Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. We're continuing in our series, Revelation and Response in Biblical Worship, and I'm going to ask you to turn to a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament, the book of Zephaniah. It's one of the minor prophets. Uh, If you find Habakkuk and Haggai, Zephaniah is right in between those two uh, prophets that begin with the letter H. So if you'll find Zephaniah chapter number 3, I appreciate Pastor Tad uh, filling in for me last week. Uh, I had the opportunity to gather with you all at the 8 o'clock worship service and hear him preach a wonderful message on the God of our salvation and worshiping the God who, uh, who is to be praised, the, the song of Moses there in Exodus chapter 15. I got to thinking, what are the things that keep us from worshiping like we ought to? And I wonder if being afraid sometimes is what keeps us from worshiping. Certainly fear has a way of translating into our lives in unique ways, challenging ways. Some people run from things that they're afraid of. Some people freeze. Some people fight when they're afraid. Uh, some people just kind of hover down like a fawn hovers when, when a fawn is afraid for its life. I remember when I was a little boy, my mom served as the secretary at the church where my dad pastored. And uh, she would take my brother and I into the office with her. We were probably not much older than two or three, and she'd give us some toys and we'd play while she was doing the secretarial work there in a part-time capacity at this inner city church in Covington, Ohio. And I remember one particular day, uh, walking into uh, the office there and looking in the trash can. I have no idea why we looked in the trash can, but we were two-year-old boys. I mean, what else do two-year-old boys do, right? But look at stuff. And we looked in and we said, hey, mom, there's some dead mice in the trash can. You know, that was kind of fascinating for us as little boys. Uh, that was not so fascinating for my mom. She did not believe that we were telling the truth that there were dead mice in the trash can because my mom was deathly afraid of mice. I'm talking as afraid of mice as some people are afraid of snakes. She hated them, despised them, was scared to death of them. Finally, she heard us tell that story enough that there were dead mice in the trash can that she went and looked in the trash can. Next thing I know, my mom is on top of the office desk, away as far away from the trash can as she can possibly be, telling us to go get our dad to make sure that that trash can was cleaned out before she could finish her work there in the office. Fear drives all sort of things in our lives. I think sometimes fear keeps us from worshiping God as we ought to. In fact, that's one of the... the implications that we find in this text in Zephaniah chapter 3. Pick up with me, if you will, in verse 14. Zephaniah says, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. Did you catch that? You shall not fear. Notice verse 16. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, let not your hands grow weak. Some translations, let not your hands hang limp. The imagery there is that some were so afraid that they just froze. No song, 
No celebration, no worship, no activity, no service, no nothing. They were so afraid that they could not respond to God appropriately. Verse 17, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors. And I will save the lame and gather the outcasts and I will change their shame and appraise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in. At the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Zephaniah was a prophet uh, during the time of Josiah, king of Judah, the last good king of Judah. I know it's been a couple of years, but if you remember back to our series as we looked through the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah's ministry, his prophetic ministry, began during the reign of Josiah when things were sort of okay for the people of Judah. In other words, there was an appearance of repentance. There was some outward change of action. Uh, didn't really result in a whole lot of change of heart for the people of Judah. Certainly not for its kingly leadership. Not after Josiah. They were all terrible and wicked kings post-Josiah. Uh, Zephaniah's ministry was during Josiah's reign. And Zephaniah, if you read back through the first couple of chapters of the book, prophesied judgment. He prophesied what God was going to do, how he was going to bring punishment to the people of Israel and punishment to the nations around. I'm going to be honest with you. If we sit and think too um, focused or very focused about what God might do in our land, and the judgments he might bring and the judgments we can anticipate because of our sinfulness and our wickedness and our evil, it could lead us to do exactly what the people of Israel were doing here and being afraid. And being afraid that would keep us from worship. I don't think I've ever preached a message from the book of Zephaniah. It's my first one. But this is a beautiful passage of Scripture. And we're going to focus our attention on one verse. Uh, verse 16 tells us that we're not to be afraid. Being afraid keeps us from worshiping. But verse 17 tells us why we're to worship. It tells us something about the God that we worship. And it tells us something amazing about the God that we worship tells us that God sings. A lot of times we think about worship as our song to God. That's very appropriate because all over the Old and New Testament, we're commanded to sing. We're commanded to raise our voice. We're commanded to praise. We're commanded to shout. We're commanded to make beautiful music and thanksgiving and in praise and an offering to God. That is all over the Old and New Testaments. comes from Psalms. even comes here in verse 14. Uh, Zephaniah uses four specific imperatives that tells the people of Israel they're to sing aloud, they're to shout, they're to rejoice, they're to exult. Those are four verbal imperatives that say to the people of Israel, here's what you're to do. This is to be your pattern of relating to the God, uh, of relating to God in praise and worship and exaltation. We are not surprised when we hear that song is to be a part of worship. What I'm not sure we consider as deeply as we should is who begins that song of worship and adoration, and it's God Himself. I want you to know just three specific pictures here that flow out of Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. It flow out of God being a Savior. 
The text tells us, verse 17, the Lord your God is in your midst. He is a mighty one who will save. That word mighty one carries with it the idea of a warrior. One who defends, one who is a hero, one who is a victor. And in the context of Zephaniah's prophecies, that makes sense. Because they had heard that God was going to judge and God was going to bring the nations against them. And then God promises, yes, I'm going to do that, but I'm also going to come back. I'm going to rescue you and I'm going to defend you and I'm going to restore you and I'm going to bring you back as a remnant. And I want to tell you something, folks. One of the reasons we can trust God to save us is because we can see how God has saved over the centuries and over history. Yes, God brought judgment upon Israel and upon Judah. Yes, God sent His people into exile. But God brought His people back. He's a mighty one to save. He's a mighty one to save who sent Jesus to be our Redeemer and our Forgiver. Not only did God want people from His chosen nation, the people of Israel, to be redeemed, He wanted people like you and me who do not have any, uh, any binding connection to the uh, national or, or to the racial or to the ethnic heritage of the Jewish people. We're not connected to them whatsoever, and yet God wants to redeem us. God wants to forgive. God wants to restore. Uh, even in the text, it says earlier in chapter 3 that He will take the confusion of the languages and He'll bring them back together, which is a, an anticipatory promise of Pentecost. When God spoke the gospel through the apostles and the prophets, that the nations may hear. Folks, we're the nations. We're the people of God that He has decided in His grace and mercy to redeem. He is a mighty one to save. And a mighty one to save makes some promises to us that I think will encourage us today. Verse 17, one commentator has called it the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. It's a statement of God's love and care and compassion for His people. But you know, there's three of these promises that are found here. First is this, the Lord delights in His people. Notice that phrase, He will rejoice over you with gladness. The Lord delights. We could fill that blank in and think the Lord delights in His creation that does exactly what He created it to do. Fill in that blank, the Lord delights in angels who always obey. Except for those that didn't way back when and you had the fallen angels. <coughs> but all the rest are messengers who obey. We could say, the Lord delights in the universe. We say the Lord delights in Himself. Who better to delight in than His Son Jesus, who has always done everything right. Some of the text tells us here, said the Lord delights in His people. He delights in you, folks. If you're a follower of His, He delights in you. What's the image there? The picture there is the picture of a bridegroom delighting over his bride. Uh, I, my wife and I have been married 19 years, a little over 19 years now. Next year we'll celebrate our 20th anniversary. I love her more now than I loved her 19 years ago when we got married. Some of you whose love is more years than mine can express that very same affirmation. Your love today is more than your love then. What is the delight of a bridegroom in his bride? It's a love and a care and a compassion and a relationship that is certain, that is sure, that is characterized by defensiveness, protecting, caring for, making sure that person knows that you 
love them. And that's the imagery, although on a much more perfect and a much more glorious scale from God to us than it is in a human relationship. Just a few weeks ago, we, we had to have the funeral service for Cheryl Kilby. Uh, Larry and Cheryl Kilby have been a part of Wilkesboro Baptist Church for, for decades, uh, many, many, many years. And Larry has taught Sunday school at our church for many, many years. And Cheryl was a helpmate to him, an encourager. She supported him not only in his uh, in medical endeavors as a doctor, but supported him here at Wilkesboro Baptist Church. And a number of weeks before she passed, she had a fall. Uh, and she, she bruised her face up, bruised her arm up. And that fall was indicative of some of the health challenges that she was going through. And I talked with Larry during that time, asked him how she was doing, asked him how he was doing because he was going to kind of be her caretaker. And here's what he said to me. He said, Cheryl and I made a promise to one another that no matter what happened, we would be the ones to take care of each other. We made a promise that we weren't going to put each other in a facility unless there were absolutely no other options and recourses. We were going to take care of each other. That's the promise I made to her. And you know what? He, had, he wasn't at Sunday school for a long time. He wasn't at church for a long time. Not because he didn't like us, didn't love us. He still loves Wilkesboro Baptist Church. But because he made a promise to his wife to care for her. To delight in her. Make a covenant with her. That's the type of love just on a more perfect and grand scale that God has for us. Folks, the Lord delights in you. I may mess up and not delight as I ought to in people that, that God's called me to serve and lead my family. We may mess up. The Lord never messes up. Folks, He delights in His people. How about this one? The Lord quiets His people with love. Watch this next phrase. He will quiet you by his love. What does that mean? At the very least, it means he will calm us. As you know, those people in verse 16 were still his people in verse 17. The ones who struggled with fear, the ones who struggled with, with disconcerting thoughts, the ones who anticipated the day of the Lord and the judgment that was to come, the ones that were concerned about tomorrow, those were the ones that were His people. And the text tells us that the Lord quiets those that are His people. He steps down into our circumstances. He condescends to us to quiet us, to calm us, to set us at ease by His love. One commentator put it this way, Kenneth Barker. He said that He will be quiet over you in His love. The only essential difficulty with this rendering, is found in the vividness of the phraseology. Watch this. To consider Almighty God sinking in contemplations of love over a once wretched human being can hardly be absorbed by the human mind. But that is exactly the point of the verse. God delights in you. This amazing love of God for human beings is inexplicable. Human minds would never dream up such a God. Human actions or human character can never deserve such a love. God's love comes in His quiet absorption because this is the God who is. In the core of His being, God is love. And so Zephaniah tells us of a cross-like love all the way back in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. 
we rightly consider God high and lifted up. Isaiah 6, Revelation 5. We appropriately bow before God in His holy majesty and grandeur. Absolutely. Few of us have trouble picturing God larger than, than, than life itself because He is. But yet, God condescends to come down and step into every situation that you have to quiet you by His love. I think sometimes, beloved, one of the things we do, we miss out on that privilege because we don't pause long enough to let God speak in our lives and our situations. He will delight in us. He will quiet us by His love. Now, look at the next phrase. The Lord exults over His people in song. Read this with me. Or follow along as I read it. He will exult over you with loud singing. That phrase is uh, pretty boisterous, pretty vibrant. It's like he will exult, that is a loud shout of exultation. So this isn't just a statement of declaration. That would be sufficient, right? I mean, God's voice is the voice that created the universe. The Lord spoke and everything came into existence, right? The, the Lord said, let there be light, and there was light. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Jesus is the very Word of God, the very declaration of God, right? I mean, God's voice, it, it, uh, the, the, the John in the book of Revelation describes His voice as the sound of many waters, all right? I mean, his voice is sufficient to create something out of nothing. But the text doesn't tell us that He says to us. It doesn't tell us that He speaks to us, which would be altogether sufficient. It tells us that He shouts. It's a loud shout of exultation over His people. And, and if that's not clear enough, He goes on to say, He will shout loud over you with shouts of loud singing. That's the picture of God and His people. It's like God saying, singing, praising, shouting, they're mine. These people are my people. They're not, they don't belong to anybody else, so I'm going to take care of them, I'm going to quiet them, I'm going to care for them. I'm going to sing over them testimonies of my greatness and glory and testimonies of their relationship with me. I love it when my kids say, that's my dad. I love it when my wife says, that's my man. Don't you love that, that good sense of possession in relationship? We do. There is a reason when we make a covenant to someone or we're in a relationship to someone, why we love that possessive, they, they belong to me, I belong to them. We love that. That's what God's doing in the song here. He is declaring in loud language of song and praise and adoration and declaration, these folks... These, they don't belong anywhere else. They're mine. Let me give you an image. It's a very imperfect image. But it carries with it the, kind of the image. What is it we miss when we don't sing loudly? Because we're already told to. Verse 14 tells us as God's people, we're to sing loudly. We're to praise boisterously. 
We're to be exuberant. And God is that. He is exuberant and loud in His song over us and for us. What does that look like? Well, in a very controversial holiday film entitled Elf, controversially one of the best holiday movies of all time, it's either hated or, or, or absolutely despised, uh, Will Ferrell plays this full-grown human who's supposed to portray this picture of an elf. And at the end of the, the film, there's not much Christmas cheer. There's not much Christmas spirit. And the line in the song goes, the best way to, spring, to, to spread Christmas cheer is to sing loud for all to hear. A Christmas song spreads cheer. That's the picture in, in the film. And, and there's this particular scene toward the end of the film where they're trying to get Santa's sleigh to, to kind of fly again. And James Caan, who happens to be uh, Buddy the Elf's dad in the movie, he won't sing. He's standing in the, in the crowd of people who are supposed to sing Santa Claus is Coming to Town or some, one of those songs. I don't remember if that's exactly right. And, and they're all sort of singing. And he's standing there like a good Baptist kind of mumbling the words. I mean, there's nothing there, okay, in, his, in the vibrancy of his song. And his youngest son kind of bumps him and says, you're not singing. And all of a sudden, he, boy, he, he, he bursts out in song just as Santa's sleigh kind of flies over the, the crowd of people that are gathered there. I know that's an imperfect image. But why is it that we don't sing loudly? We're embarrassed. I don't want that person to hear me sing off tune. I, I, I can't carry a note. I don't know the difference between parts and melody. I can't hear that. And so if I'm standing next to you and you're standing next to me and, and I'm standing next to Dr. Mike, Dr. Mike can hear all that. He can hear all of that. Flaws, faults, good, beautiful. I, I mean, I don't want Dr. Mike to hear how bad of a singer I am. Maybe, maybe you don't sing well. You don't, you don't want to sing loudly. I promise you God does everything perfectly. He sings with absolute perfection, but He sings loudly in a declaration of possessive affirmation over His people. That ought to be the way we respond. When's all this going to happen? When, when in the world is God going to delight in His people? When is God going to quiet His people by His love? How do we know when this takes place? When is God going to declare over us in loud song and exuberant worship and adoration of himself. When is that going to take place? There's a clue in verse 15. It says, The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared your enemies away. The King of Israel, O Lord, is in your midst. He shall never again fear evil. Who's the King of Israel? None other than Jesus himself. Isaiah prophesied about that Jesus who would come and the government would be upon his shoulders. When the king of Israel is in your midst, Emmanuel, God with us, that's when the affirmation of this is going to finally and fully be fulfilled. Meaning that one of the things I want you to grasp is, yes, this is a promise to God's Old Testament people. Sure, it's a promise to the people of Israel. There are specific promises to him bring, them bringing them back, God bringing them back from exile and restoring them. Yes, that's there. But the beautiful imagery is that this will take place when the king, Jesus the king, reigns. And guess what? When he came, when he came incarnate, it's God in human flesh, he came to set up the kingdom. He preached the gospel of the kingdom and he inaugurated the kingdom when he came. And his death on the cross invites us to be his people. So I want to tell you this, the affirmations of this promise are going on right now today 
for those of us that are God's people through Jesus Christ. This is fulfilled when we enter into a relationship with Jesus. And did you know that not only does God the Father sing, did you know that Jesus sings? Do you have any clue? Of course he did historically. The Bible tells us that on the night before he was crucified, he and the disciples gathered and they sang a hymn. They sang some psalms there at the night before his crucifixion, Passover. It was part of the Passover celebration. But if you go to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 2, I'll begin reading in verse 10. For it was fitting that he, this Jesus, for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. And what is that? For he who sanctifies, and those who are sanctified, have one source, and that is Jesus. The book of Hebrews is talking about Jesus. That is why he, that is Jesus, is not ashamed to call them brothers. That is us. Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers because he's the one who brought us into relationship with God. Watch this, the last part of verse 12. Saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. So God possesses us as his people, we're his children. Jesus says, they're my brothers and they're my sisters. They're my family. I will tell of your name, God's name. Jesus I will, says, I will tell of your name, God's name, the Lord's name, to my brothers in the midst of the congregation I, Jesus, will sing your praise. So, watch this. God the Father sings over His people as His possession. Jesus, our brother and our Lord and our Savior, sings about us and testifies, they're mine. These are my family. This is my brother. This is my sister. These are the people that are a part of my family. And watch what the Holy Spirit does. Ephesians chapter 5. The Holy Spirit, when we're filled with the Spirit, says this. Therefore, don't be foolish, Paul says in verse 17. But understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But what? Be filled with the Spirit. What does the Spirit lead us to do? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody to the Lord with your heart. In Trinitarian glory, God the Father sings over His people in loud exultation, saying, We're His. God the Son sings to and about and for God to His brothers and sisters, us, giving us the Holy Spirit who does what? Invites us to sing to one another the glories of God who is our great and mighty King, Savior, and Lord. So I want to tell you something. When we worship, we need to worship the God who sings. Let me give you three very specific applications as we close this morning. Number one, remember that our song is a response to God who sings. Worship doesn't begin with us. It doesn't begin with our songs. It doesn't begin with our affirmations. It doesn't begin with our, our, our truths. It begins with God. It begins with His glory. It begins with His grandeur. And when we sing, yes, we're to sing. We're to sing aloud, verse 14 of Zephaniah 3. We're to sing exuberantly. We're to sing passionately. We're to sing powerfully. But we're to sing in response to God who sings. In that sense, we're all backup singers. Our song isn't the primary part of worship. God's song is the primary part of worship, and our song is the response song to worship. Also in that sense, 
If you look at Ephesians chapter 5, we're all worship leaders. Think about it this way. If God really is quieting us with His love, if God really is delighting in us, if God really is singing over us, and the text tells us that He is, if that is what God is doing, if that is what Jesus is doing, telling everyone we're His family, and if the Holy Spirit is indwelling us and we're not singing, then our actions are in discord with our relational reality. And when some very insightful child, teenager, or adult looks around the congregation and listens, whether it's 8 o'clock or 9.30 or 11 or any other place of worship all across the world, and they see people who claim to be gods not singing. We're saying either that he's not real or we don't believe he is. I'm going to tell you something, folks. Our song is in response to God who sings, and if this is the God that we really have, Beloved, we've got to sing. We've got to sing and worship for our sakes, for His glory, also because it is a testimony to those around us that this is the God that we serve. Let me give you a second application. Folks, rejoice in the God who quiets and sings over us. I know it's hard sometimes. I know... You walk in here with fears and frustrations just like I do. You walk in here with shortcomings and failures just like I do. It is so easy for us to get caught up in all of the things that surround us. And sometimes those things that surround us are really, really important. But I just want to remind you of something. Nothing that you bring in and nothing that I bring in is as important as God's exuberant, glorious declaration and song over us that we're His. And if God rejoices in us who are imperfect, flawed beings, then by heavens, we ought to be able to rejoice in Him. We ought to be able to relate to Him and praise Him and pray to Him. Application number three. If you've not already, I want you to receive Jesus as your Savior and brother. Jesus came in human flesh to invite us into a relationship with the God who is and the God who is forever. And if you have not yet received the forgiveness that God brought and bought through Jesus and through his death on the cross, I would beg of you, don't let any day go further. Don't let any moment go further than you trusting in Jesus alone to be your Savior because God is inviting you into relationship. For some of you, it may be the lack of quietness. You need a spiritual calmness. Well, Jesus provides that. For some of you, you don't feel like you belong. I want to tell you something. You belong in God's family. Jesus came to die on a cross so that you could have a family, a community of faith where you could belong to. And sometimes we get that wrong. Sometimes we don't do a good job of that at at our church. Uh, Sometimes other churches don't do a good job bringing people into community. But I want to tell you something. God will never fail you. God will never leave you alone. God will never isolate you. He will be with you forever and forever. And maybe if you're here and you're afraid, 
and you need a relationship with Jesus. Maybe if you're here and you don't feel like you belong, you need a relationship with Jesus. Jesus died on the cross so that you would have a family to belong in and a God who says, they're my children. And a Jesus who says, they're my brothers and they're my sisters. And a Holy Spirit who says, I'm going to live inside them forever and forever and forever. If you haven't yet, would you receive Jesus? Is your Lord, your Savior, and your brother. Stand with me if you will. Dr. Mike, I have no idea what our invitation hymn is, but I'm going to tell you this. If we can't sing it with a little more exuberance of loudness, after thinking about the God who sings, then shame on us. Father, we come to you today. You are worthy. And uh, whew, we're humbled by the fact that you would Sing and praise over your people because we don't deserve that. Thank you, Lord, for sending your son Jesus to be our Savior and our Redeemer. Hear our sounds of praise and songs of worship and Lord God, move in our hearts and bring those who don't know you into a relationship of peace and calmness and quietness, celebration and worship that only you can do. We pray this in Christ's name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.